I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. Amazon wants to sell internet service in Europe, according to a report on the website The Information, citing a person briefed on the discussion. Uh, The report says that the move would allow Amazon to bundle internet access with its prime streaming video offering, making it more competitive with cable offerings uh, or cable operator offerings, which already have similar broadband video packages. Now, I find this very interesting for several reasons. Here are several reasons. (laughs) Firstly, Virgin, which I think we would consider the cable uh, operator here in the UK because that's what it is, does not sell condoms or delicious handmade Scottish fudge. Oh, does it not? No, no. You can't. Virgin Johnny's is not a thing yet. (laughs) That would be a terrible thing. Nor is Virgin Swallow. But uh, it could be, and uh, that maybe is what Amazon's trying to get ahead of here. The other thing that I find interesting here is that the UK is a very interesting market for Amazon to do this in, and it does look like Amazon is considering doing it in the UK and not the US, which would be an interesting business offering it's not often that we see amazon offer something this side of the pond that doesn't offer on its home turf but and we'll talk about how that could be in a few minutes but what was your takeaway for for this end does this seem believable to you yeah it does because i think that amazon's profits um are mostly tied up in internet stuff anyway if you think about aws it's a huge amount of money and it it um it's sort of not it's not it's not not discussed because everyone's sort of aware of it but AWS is a huge thing and is used by so many different internet you know, pr- providers to, as the back end of their service. And it, it generates billions. So it sort of makes some sense. Um, I can see some logic to it. Absolutely. But it's an interesting idea because in the UK, at least, and for those unaware of how a lot of services work, they essentially resell BT's wholesale broadband package, OpenReach, which, or rather via OpenReach, which is the fact that BT owns basically, you know, they own the copper cables that, that go from the cable to the cabinet. They own the cabling that connects the cabinet to the exchanges. They own the exchanges. But as part of OpenReach, they have to make the infrastructure available for competitors to launch their own services on because obviously it's not possible for Amazon, if it wanted to be an ISP, to put new cables to your house. It well, would just it is possible. It's just very, very expensive. Yes, and that's what Virgin has done, and that's what companies like City Fiber do. But, but, but for the consumer and for the budget-focused consumer, it's much cheaper to put your own equipment even into the call center, into the exchanges using local loop and bundling, which is what companies like TalkTalk Talk do, and operate their own back-end infrastructure, or just take the whole thing wholesale and just resell it. And that is probably what Amazon would do and at a very, very cheap rate bundled into Prime. That's absolutely right. But I, I, I mean, I do wonder if Amazon might be looking to make a Google Fiber play. Um, because if you own a lot of infrastructure, 
it, it can be very profitable if you do it in the right way. And I, I've always sort of thought that the Google Fiber idea is a very good one because you can you you can then use that as a way to sell other services to other people, you know, be it TV or use the backhaul bandwidth that you've got to provide, you know, a whole other business. So I wondered if uh, maybe Amazon could do some acquisitions that might mean that it would have a, you know, a powerful position to do that. But well, it- possibly if they if they bought a third, not a third party, but if they bought a a company that was laying this sort of infrastructure down. You know, City Fiber is one, but they generally provide to SMEs and businesses at the moment. And doing it in the UK would be a very challenging place to roll out new infrastructure in that way. I mean, Talk Talk is starting to get into the cable business, but it's not trying to do it in London because it's so hard. They're trying to do it in York and they have to do bits of York at one point because they can't disrupt the whole of York all at one point. But there is a demand and local councils do want this. They want more options, but it's such a expensive, long-winded and challenging process that if you were going in for a kind of budget offering like... Uh, Amazon probably would do, then you can only do a very limited rollout. And I'm not entirely sure it's any easier to do that here than it is in the US. No, that's that. that I mean, what you say about, you know, doing a budget offering is true. But you, with Amazon, it's never really about what it costs them. I just wonder, being an MVNO or, you know, reselling whatever, you know, not an MVNO, but, you know, being a reseller for BT, it's not, it's not going to make them any money. It's not going to extend what they do massively so i feel like there must be something else going on if this is a you know true story then there must be something some reason my my wondering here is a whether this is connected to prime video and they want to try and do something fancy in calls in the exchanges by edge caching um Amazon Prime Video. But they can do that video. already because Netflix does that. Well, maybe it's just a pure power grab then in that case. I mean, if you imagine uh, uh, Prime, which is, I think, what, is it 79 or £99 pounds a year? And, and what they do, they tend to keep adding new stuff into it and not necessarily increase, increasing the price. You know, they're, they're launching music service. You get discounted stuff via Amazon Echo for their that new streaming service that they've got. But if... I mean, could you imagine Amazon saying, as part of Amazon Prime, you can have free broadband? I, I, mm. I mean, that would be a very, very compelling offer because it's t- it's tying you into Amazon as a place to buy stuff from by being the provider of the means of accessing Amazon in the first place. I don't think they would do that because they tend not to launch services that don't have mass appeal within Prime. So... I, while, while I see what you mean, I think it would be a waste of money from that perspective. I think it would have to be a different service. I mean, maybe they could... I don't know. There's, it, the thing that bothers me about that is that I think a lot of people wouldn't want to use it. Because unless it was the best broadband, they're never going to get you and me. So I would feel like I'm not getting any value from that. And that's the one thing about Prime is I look at it and I think, well, there's nothing in there that I can't use. But I can't use broadband. So True. do you see what I mean? I, I know it's a sort of nebulous way of putting it, but I, that's kind of where I feel on it. 
that's interesting. Well, let us know what could Amazon offer you that would make this compelling or is this compelling enough? Podcast at NateLangson.com. Very keen to hear. I think it is fairly safe to conclude that if they did do this, they would do it on the OpenReach platform. It would be dial-up internet. Uh, not dial-up, sorry. <laughs> Copper-based <laughs> broadband um, and rival the other sort of um, budget broadband providers out there like TalkTalk Talk and, uh, and others. Uh, but on the, staying very briefly on the topic of mobile service, I did want to note something that Ian was oh so excited about, which is that Sky Mobile is going to open for new customers at the end of the month on Halloween, in fact, or Samhain, if you are, of course, of the pagan <laughs> philosophy. And this is an interesting one, Sky getting into the mobile phone business, because they have been a triple play player for a while, offering TV, internet and landline phone, but have gone a long time without offering any mobile while its competitors Virgin Mobile had great well I say great they've had a long running mobile service for, for a long time you've had companies like BT Mobile spring back up over the last couple of years and do interesting things with that service we've had mergers going on of Orange and T-Mobile under EE we've had other MVNO networks just pop up, Labara Mobile doing some interesting stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff going on in the telecoms market, and you would have thought that Sky would want to get ahead of all this and be in this market already. And it it took it took a story about them getting into it to remind me, wow, Sky doesn't do mobile. Like that's that's so weird. I, I suspect I wonder if maybe the reason they didn't get into it sooner was that they were considering buying something and that that was why they, they were sort of like, Well, we won't launch an MVNO because we might buy a network. Um, obviously, obviously that hasn't happened, and, and there aren't very many networks left, so it would be quite difficult to do that, wouldn't it? It would be um, difficult from a regulatory perspective as it, well, because I think if there's one thing that we've seen from the US is that a lack of competition in in the telecoms market can be quite damaging. But, but I also think that um, there, there there would be room if someone wanted to come along and launch another network, which is very unlikely because of the costs. I feel like. Um, Ofcom probably would go out of their way to sort of make some spectrum available for another player because of that, for, for exactly the reason that you said. Well, Sky's going to launch, as we said, on the 31st of October. It's going to be on the back of the O2 network. And Sky is in such a, a powerful position. It has about over half of its European customers are based in the UK. It's, it's over... 11 million uh, it might even be more than 12 million people are on sky in in the uk so a huge huge number of people are using sky and if sky was able to come out and say well for three pounds extra a month or something you're gonna get you can get sky mobile uh, i mean that's a pretty compelling deal if you're not that bothered about whichever network you're currently on having access to mobile operation makes a lot of sense i i like you i just think they should have done it a lot sooner and I was thinking about what could make Sky Mobile com- competitive enough for somebody who is on a different mobile network to move to other than price. And the one that got me thinking is is the Now TV stuff and Sky Go. Now imagine having a mobile network that excluded those from your data usage caps. If you were a Sky customer and you wanted a budget plan that only had two gig of data, but that two gig didn't include any kind of catch-up service or on-demand service provided by Sky. Now you might run into net neutrality rules um, depending on how you implemented something like that but you but i could definitely see a customer who uses those services finding that a very compelling reason to move to sky mobile other than just the price i mean actually if you think about it it makes sense because um if you were on sky mobile you'd be on sky's network so 
really, it would just be a matter of them not counting internal data in the same way that EE doesn't count data to EE's website as part of your data use because you can use it outside of when you don't have credit. Well, I think that is probably pushing us to the end of the uh, the scope of the conversation about Sky Mobile. But anybody who has an opinion, would you would you take Sky Mobile? What would get you excited uh, in the in the mind or in the loins uh, about Sky Mobile? Let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. And if you're going to sign up to this on the 31st of October in just over a week, then do let us know because that's going to be really interesting anecdotal information for us about why you're making that switch. Uh, Let us know. I will just say one thing that we completely forgot because you and I both don't like sport, but sport. Don't forget, sport, Sky, Sky Sports. It's very important and a lot of people like sport. There we go. That's all I have to say on that. Which was to say very (laughs) little. Nothing. Well, if you want to get binary information from one place to another, you subscribe to a mobile network, uh, perhaps O2, as we've just discussed, or Sky Mobile. But if you want to get a human being from one place to another, it's very difficult still to transmit them wirelessly. You might take an Uber. And that brings us to the topic of our next um, topic, uh, which is that London's Uber drivers, and indeed uh, all private hire minicab drivers are going to have to pass an English exam. Specifically, any driver seeking to renew or apply for a new private hire license will need to hold an English qualification. If they don't, they'll have to pass a two-hour exam to earn one at the cost of £200. If you have a GCC English uh, and you even vaguely passed it, that's fine. You can you can use that. But if you haven't, you're going to have to pass a test that meets European Common Europe. Sorry, the European Common Framework of Reference or Common European Framework of Reference, as I think it's actually called, and it's something called a B1 exam, which is said to be on par with tests taken by nine-year-olds. Um, now, this is something that. Um, Uber was very, very unhappy with, vocally unhappy with, took the uh, TfL, the Transport for London, the the body that regulates this, to the High Court and argued that a test would reduce the number of drivers on the road, it would ramp up prices. Uh, Now, uh, Uber wasn't able to block that introduction, but it was able to convince the court that asking drivers from predominantly non-English speaking countries was discriminatory. I.e., if you were from Britain, you would be exempt from having to take the test, which means that all of London's private hire drivers will at some point need to take one of these tests or prove that they've taken something akin to one of these tests in the past. And there's over 100,000 private hire drivers in London. You know, it's a, it's a staggering number. And this is going to happen. It's going to be applied over the coming months. Uh, and from next year, everyone's going to have to be subjected to this in some way. And I thought, rather than going over whether this was a good or bad thing, because we've sort of talked about this in the past, I wanted to look up exactly what a B1 grade English test is. And I did some digging and I found some websites and on those websites were some words and I've copied some of those words into the document we use to read the podcast news from. And I thought we could do a little quiz, Ian. Oh, okay. There were lots of examples of these tests and there are vocabulary tests, there's reading tests, writing tests, obviously. Uh, There was one just sort of around vocabulary and and there was one specific to to travel that I found. So I thought we'd use some of the questions from that test. So here we go. These, these, These are some of the questions. Question one. And feel free to answer at home. <laughs> a road junction at which traffic streams circularly around a central island is called a, and here are some options, sail, crossing, or roundabout. 
Well, I'm going to go for roundabout, although I that's do feel the, like I'm sort of cheating a bit here. That's the correct answer, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, what being being fluent in English yeah. and being a journalist with whom uh, for whom words are your primary tool, well, yes. And also only speaking one language, you know, my complete yeah. British ignorance. And, of course, having your the answers on the screen, but I assume yeah. you're not cheating oh, because well, I, mean, I trust you. Well, no, I, I, can, I can see the options on the screen, but I can't actually... There's no indication of which is the right answer. Indeed. Well, question two. A traveller riding in a vehicle, brackets, a boat, or bus, or car, or plane, or train, etc., <laughs> close brackets, is not operating. It is called a passenger, foreign, or speed. <laughs> I want it to be foreign. <laughs> it's obviously passenger. I suppose it could be both. And if you are on a plane, you could also be travelling at speed. So a little bit confusing there. Not entirely sure that one's fair. Question three. A sheltered port where ships can take on or discharge cargo. A, harbour. B, arrive. C, cycle. Harbour. Can I just say that I don't think this is a very good test at all. It just seems um, way too easy. Yeah. Well, it is for nine-year-olds. I mean, it's ironic that nine-year-olds can't drive cars. Not in this country, anyway. Uh, An established line of travel or access. Fair. Canal. Route. That's a better one, isn't it? Route. I actually think that's a terrible one because a canal could easily be an established line of travel. Well, that's well, that is true, and it is. But um, mm. well, I, 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 I thought it's it's a bit. I think if you're trying to test someone's fine understanding of English, then that's probably better, isn't it? Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, that's that's true. There's the the devil is in the detail. Yeah, it could technically be a couple of answers. Question six: A person who rides a bicycle is it cyclist, currency, cabin? They, they should have they should have slipped in irritant here. <laughs> I, I say that I I am a cyclist. I do have a bike. I like cycling. Obviously, mm. it's a cyclist. It is a cyclist. A couple more then. Uh, a wheeled vehicle that runs on rails and is propelled by electricity. Railway. Capital city. Tram. A broken. Yeah. Uh, well, lo- actually, that's weird, isn't it? Well, obviously, yeah. it's, a, it's a tram. But, I mean, like, it's, it's, I suppose it's confusing enough if you're not an English speaker. Exactly. I liked that question. That was my favourite one. And then, finally, this one, kind of a uh, tertiary connection to travel. Uh, question eight. A portable rectangular container for carrying clothes. A subway. A suitcase. A coach. Um, it's definitely coach because, of course, the coach is rectangular and all of the people in it are wearing clothes. Thus, it is carrying them. Not necessarily. Again, parts of the world, <laughs> there may be nudity clauses, uh, which uh, allows them to, uh, I don't know, rub against each other or something. But yes, you're right. The answer is is suitcase. So that's an example of the level of questioning that an Uber driver or a minicab driver is going to have to prove. Now, I would say, Ian, I'm not an officially sanctioned uh, examiner of this, but I reckon you passed with flying colours. Thanks, mate. I would let you. I would let you drive me. Um, maybe in the past, at some point, you have. I can't remember. Good point. But, but uh, yeah. So that's what we. That's what they're facing, and they're going to pay two hundred quid for the privilege of doing so, unless they've taken a GCC. So let us know. You know, if you your opinions on that. Obviously, podcast at natelangson dot com. Personally, I don't see that as a grueling test, but I also don't know entirely how helpful any of that that level is going to be. If somebody says. Something like, uh, sorry, I can't pay you on the app. Do you have any contactless payment? Or if not, can you stop at a hole in the wall so I can get some cash out? There's one in a couple of hundred feet just past the Tesco. I don't know if that test is going to get you any closer to understanding that any more than just pointing at the thing you want to do, which is kind of the reason they want to do this in the first place. Well, firstly, 
I've never had a problem. I mean, I don't use a huge number of minicabs. I've never had a problem with one speaking English. And I, and as long as they can understand where I'm going, I don't really care. And the same with Uber. The whole thing is designed for introverts so we don't have to have conversations with people. It's like, I want to go here. I am here. Get in the car. Don't say anything. Go home. I, really, it's probably almost an advantage if they don't speak English. You can send words in English to podcast at natelangson.com. Very nice. That was really good. One person who has written in to podcast at natelangson.com is Richard. Before we get to some more news, he says, really enjoyed your latest episode about the Note 7. He enjoyed it on a Note 7, he points out in parentheses, uh, even if with a sense of comical irony. My situation, Richard continues, is that I was one of the original Carphone Warehouse customers which got shipped early. This got quickly replaced for a supposed safe one. My wrinkle in this familiar story is that I'm in Asia for three weeks, Japan and Hong Kong. Thanks for pointing that out, appreciate that. With this Note 7 as my only link to work and life back home in the UK. To add insult to injury, the the airport authority in Hong Kong requests that no one travel with a Note 7, even if switched off and not stowed. Now, that is a that is a problem. You're, you're saying, this is my one lifeline and I can't take it. That's a challenge. Uh, anyway, keep up the good work, says Richard. The dramatics of the last episode were most amusing. Thank you. Uh, I actually sent that to Ian in advance to make sure it wasn't uh, rubbish. <laughs> and uh, he seemed to agree it was yeah, worth no, doing. It's, it's good, yeah. It's interesting to hear about, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, and thank you to others who have written in. Uh, in fact, uh, one one lady, Alison, actually wrote in uh, about my wedding, about my ideas for virtual reality, which was very good. So thanks to everyone who wrote in. Keep them coming, please. Podcast at natelangson.com. If you ever sit wondering, what is it I give Nate and Ian for them getting up at 8 a.m. every week to do a podcast for me for free and never ask for money? In fact, actively discourage donations. I'll tell you how you can repay us. Send us a podcast email or leave us a review on iTunes. Well, Ian, jumping headfirst back into the news pool, uh, the new swimming pool, music streaming services apparently are too expensive for many non-subscribers, according to a survey by, uh, I forget who actually did this survey. Who was this? Zuora, wasn't it? Zuora yeah, and YouGov, I think, co- co-authored this study. Now, they say that uh, 90% of the British population are not subscribers to music streaming services. And almost half, in fact, I looked up the number, 48% precisely, of those non-subscribers think that the music services are too expensive. Whatever that is, the average is about £10 a month. That is too much. Research shows that uh, the 10% who do subscribe to streaming music services pay an average of 7 pounds and seven pence a month my assumption is that some of these are subsidized maybe by mobile networks now this again was interesting when we look at the numbers surveyed it was just over 2,000 uk adults were, were surveyed as part of this and i thought okay well that's that's interesting let's just have a look how that might compare to other nations so i did uh, i did some googling found a similar survey done by nielsen as part of its annual year-end music report last year it surveyed 3,000 people in the u.s and the top reason for not subscribing to a streaming music service in north america was they were too expensive 46 percent, only two percent difference I-, I don't know how surprising you find this in i actually thought that probably more than 10 percent of the uk's population subscribed to a service at this point but either way too expensive 10 pounds a month what do you think um well i can sort of see the argument that when you especially when you consider in factor in all the other things that people tend to subscribe to that it does add a burden and you know and music streaming is sort of essential isn't it like i feel like if i didn't have a music streaming service i probably would feel a lot less happy um 
So from that perspective, it's well worth the £10. I, I am in the very lucky position in that I can afford it, but I can see that for some people that might be much more of a difficult decision. Um, it's, I think, isn't it interesting when you compare it to how many CDs people used to buy a year? Because if you look at the overall amount of money people used to spend per year on music, the ones who subscribe to something for £10 a month are probably paying more per year than they ever used to pay on CDs. I, I quite agree, and I absolutely fall within that category because I never used to spend a huge amount on CDs. Um, and now I um, obviously I don't you know no no one really needs to download anything illegally anymore because it's all on Spotify or Apple Music so it's helped with piracy um, although I don't like that word um, so um, and ten yeah like you say ten pounds a month is is a is a only one CD isn't it so if anyone that was buying a CD a month or more then they would absolutely find that they were saving money having said that. The people who love CDs and music probably are still buying CDs, so they're probably paying for CDs as well as Spotify. Um, at, that's true. Whereas yeah, that's I've true. never really fell in, fallen into that category. There are only a very few select groups I would make the effort to buy a CD for these days. And honestly, it's such a ball ache playing CDs anyway that I really don't <laughs> seek to do it. Um, I don't even have a CD player in the car, so from you know, for, it, Spotify is absolutely the best option for me. Um, and there are ways you can reduce the cost, I guess. Um, it, don't forget there is a free option, um, although it doesn't give you quite the same amount of features. But even so, it works on a mobile, which it never used to. And um, it's a good way of getting access to music, even though you've got to listen to ads. It's better than the radio. Well, let's, that's interesting you mentioned radio because uh, over a third of people who listen to streaming services said that they rarely that's a quote, listen to the radio anymore because of the streaming services. Um, And there's some other interesting numbers here as well. 52% of streaming customers in the UK say they don't ever plan to buy a CD again. Oh, wow. Uh, Nearly 4 million of them, about 70-71%, say that music streaming services have changed how they listen to music forever. The move to online and streaming is... It's a it's a big deal because it completely changes the fact you don't have to own anything. But also, it means you have to think about where you're going to be, whether you're going to have internet access there, whether you can download enough music to your phone, whether you've got enough storage space. You know, it's it's not just about the fact that it's you're listening to music. It's a whole completely changes the way you think about things. So I can see why they'd say it. And also, it's it's it is huge. Not have essentially, you're saying that's it. I'm no, I'm no longer buying an object. I'm existing in the cloud. Well, let us know what you think to these numbers. Does it surprise you? Do you agree that music service is too expensive? If you do, I'm curious to wonder, I'm curious to know what you think is the right price. You know, what would push you over the edge? Some people have suggested it's $4.99. Uh, some people have suggested it should be free and bundled with another service. And these are all things that some companies seem to be experimenting with to some level. But obviously they're at the behest of the uh, music labels uh, to do that but let us know podcast at natelangson.com well let's just keep a bit of global perspective and hear from tom merritt from daily tech news show in the u.s tom what has been exciting you over the last few days that people should listen to you discuss Hey, thanks, Nate. This week, we looked at whether digital money can replace cash, whether we want it to. I looked at how well the Google Pixel phone is doing, pondered whether we want e-ink keyboards from Apple or anyone for that matter, decided that that new Nintendo Switch hybrid tablet console does have a chance, and learned what a denial of service attack against DNS is and why it brought down Twitter for us. All that and more on DTNS. Back to you, Nate. 
Thank you, Tom. Right, well, some people may be surprised we're not actually going to talk about Nintendo's news, the release, or rather the announcement of its NX console becoming the Nintendo Switch. But to be perfectly honest with you, there's not a great deal we could tell you about it, even if we did talk about it, because we haven't got any kind of UK availability or price or anything like that. And frankly, if you're interested in it, you probably already know about it. And that's kind of sometimes why we don't talk about some of these major news events. We thought we'd just put it out there. If you really want us to talk about our opinions on the Switch, let us know on the email or on Twitter at text message pods if you want us to talk about it maybe next week. But that's why we're not going to go into detail about it this week. Instead, we are going to give a brief, and it will be brief, nod to something we don't normally talk about because it falls under the category of hashtag sport but drone racing is coming to the Eurosport TV channel in the UK next year. Specifically, this will be the DRI Drone Racing Series. It's going to be broadcast in about 70 countries, including the UK, from the summer next year, which I think is brilliant because drone racing is it's technically sport but it means but it's also something i would i would want to watch and i don't i mean i've never been to a drone racing match but i do know somebody who has andrew hoyle of cnet and i actually spoke to him last night and asked him what being at a drone racing match is like he's like well it is not a spectator sport uh, to go to any kind of arena and watch because it's too fast and the things are too small but it makes a lot of sense to be on tv or to be videoed because you can see it from the perspective of the drone and that is where it gets really really exciting and and that's why I'm particularly excited and seeing this on TV, because I think if this becomes uh, more widespread, then it's the kind of thing we can see a bit more advances in technology for. And it's even something I could get on board with watching in VR, you know, in 360, if it was uh, filmed from the drone's perspective. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, I mean, exactly that. Uh, it's um, one of the things that's exciting about F1 is when you get to get, use the on-car camera, isn't it? So. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely. I would love to watch drone racing. I think it's quite interesting anyway. The speeds are phenomenal, um, and an onboard camera just means that you feel like you're flying. So yes, I'm I'm 100% on board with that idea. <laughs> well, we'll be uh, we'll be tuning in with that when that happens next year on Eurosport. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks to everybody who's been emailing in at podcast at natelangson.com. Please do keep those coming. Please keep the reviews coming on iTunes. It's fantastic. We've got, we're almost up to 150 reviews just in the UK store, let alone the ones we have, the dozens we have on other stores around the world. Thank you to everyone that leaves them. It really does mean a lot. And if you can keep them coming, obviously, we're not asking for glowing reviews. Obviously, we'd love them, but just reviews in general and telling people, friends and colleagues, that's what keeps the show going. That's what keeps us motivated. So, thank you for everyone who has done that and those who will do that show notes at techpodcast.uk I've for some reason decided that's an easier URL to use but natelikeson.com slash podcast is also there and we're at text message pod on Twitter Ian it has been a pleasure to be in your company I am ever so grateful likewise Nate and I'll see you next week bye guys yeah um, and I think um, yeah I mean I yeah. I've really that that was not a great sentence, was it? It didn't really go anywhere. No, it, it feel lacked, free to say it again. I'll it, edit it out. <laughs> it lacked all of the things that a good sentence really should have. Um. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.